There is no guarantee for success, but there are ways to get closer to it when you do the right things. Who you surround yourself with is just as important as what you do. Finding the right people, the right classes, the right activities, and taking the right tests are all decisions that shape your future. Find out more today on Destination University with Dr. Cynthia Colon. Dr. Colon and her guests will give you the tips you need, whether you're a student, parent, or educator. Now, here is your host, Dr. Cynthia Colon. When was the last time you were uncomfortable? I mean, really uncomfortable. Think about it. Wherever you're listening right now, just say it out loud to yourself. Many adults will say public speaking, small talk, admitting you were wrong, or admitting you don't know something, or disagreeing with your boss. Your teen might say being without my phone, being somewhere that I don't know anyone, speaking up in class, or talking to a teacher. But my absolute favorite answer is when anyone says that they're most uncomfortable when trying something new. Translation, I don't like doing things that I'm not already good at. I mean, who does? Here's the crazy thing. Once you've experienced the feeling of air quote failure, you sort of never want to experience that feeling again. So we become hesitant and less likely to try new things. Children are fearless, willing to try nearly everything. And even when they fall off the monkey bars or the jungle gym, they get right back up and try it again. Today, our guest offers his tips, tales, and lessons on being present, being open-minded, and being willing to explore and be uncomfortable. And if you, as the parent, can find a way to teach your child to do all of that, well, my friends, you are raising a courageous doer and a college-bound teen. Ross Mancuda is the Director of College Counseling, Alumni Relations, and Strategic Partnerships at the Milken School in Los Angeles, California. Originally from Long Island, New York, Ross spent his early career on the Hill, working in the House of Representatives and in the White House. As an experienced college admission counselor, Ross worked at George Washington University and at the University of Southern California. At Milken, Ross spends his days guiding students and families on navigating the college admission process. I cannot wait for you to hear his tips for every level of high, high school, and even middle school. Welcome to Destination University. This is episode 42. Be present, be open, be uncomfortable. Okay, so before we dive into my interview, I have to announce this week's Double Scoop Star Student of the Week. It isn't a student at all. Actually, it's an entire school. Yep, you heard that correctly, an entire school. St. Paul High School, located in Santa Fe Springs, is the Double Scoop Star School of the Week. Every December, the school organizes its annual March for Hunger. Not just any march. I mean parents, alumni, and over 70% of the student body commit to walking 26 miles to raise and support the Catholic Worker Hospitality Kitchen. This is an organization that serves the homeless of Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. The money raised by the students in this annual event 
is the largest annual donation that the kitchen receives. Participants start at 6 a.m. with a morning mass and rally, and this marks the start of their journey, and they arrive in busloads at Salazar Park at 8 a.m. and journey through L.A. all the way to Santa Monica Beach, and then they return to school for a well-deserved barbecue on on campus. This has been an event for over 40 years, and when it first began, really the students said, well, why don't we just do a 5K like everybody? And the gentleman who started it, his name is Dan, said, basically, you're not like everybody else. We're going to do 26 miles. And I actually think it's a 26.2. I think it's a full marathon. But I want to say congratulations to being present, to being open, and being willing to be uncomfortable. And 26 miles, I know those feet are very uncomfortable. Bravo to the principal, Kate Aceves. Congratulations. You've got a special something coming your way. Congratulations on being the double scoop star school of the week. Well, hello, listeners. I'm Cynthia Colon, author of the book Tips, Tales, and Truths for Teens, where we explore extraordinary people who lived ordinary childhoods and found a pathway to college. If you are a student, parent of a student, teach students, or are a student of life, this show is for you. Well, hello, Ross, and welcome to Destination University. How are you doing today? I'm great, Cynthia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you. Oh, I'm super excited too. It's been a, a bit since I've been to to Milken, but I remember the the space is beautiful, your location is beautiful, and everyone there is incredibly friendly and so welcoming. So tell our listeners just a little bit about um, about your your school, like where where you are today. Sure. So for those out there who don't know Milken, Milken Community Schools is a Jewish day school, grades 7 through 12, located in Bel Air. Uh, we're actually right on Mulholland uh, with a beautiful scenic view of the 405 on one side. Uh, and our students come from both the city and the valley. And we mm-hmm. teach a dual curriculum, uh, which includes secular education and Jewish studies classes as well. That's amazing. Now, um, just before we went live, I I gave our listeners a little introduction about you and who you are. And I'm excited about this theme of being present, being open and being uncomfortable. And I shared with our listeners that you've come from both sides of the desk, as we say, the shipping and receiving end. (laughs) Right. And so um, I'm curious before we sort of dive into our our interview here, but, you know, do you have a favorite side of the desk or is that maybe unfair to ask because you're on one side now? But yeah, I think I should be honest with the listeners and say this is my 10th year doing college counseling. So and compared to four years doing admission, I think in terms of favorite, I am definitely really happy where I am. There are certain aspects of the college admission lifestyle that I miss. Um, but I love the counseling piece. The relationships you're able to build with students and families have really changed my life. Um, I never would have imagined what those relationships could be like prior to my time being a counselor, but I'm thrilled I made the transition 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, and really happy that I wound up at Milken. <laughs> That's thank you for saying that because as you know I interview um, people from both sides of the desk and um, 
when we talk to folks in, in the admission world at the institutions at the colleges, they really, um, you know, talk about meeting the families um, along the way. And they talk about, obviously, what they see as important as uh, pieces of getting admitted. But you get to go that journey with them. Uh, and see them through and you see all the, the anxiety and all the buildup and all of the, the worries and the woes from, you know, both the teenagers and, and the parents. But, and I know you shared a little bit about Milken, but you just said you're really happy that you landed at Milken. What makes Milken so special in terms of those relationships? You know, this, the name of the school is Milken Community Schools, and I've done some hiring for Milken the last couple of years for faculty. And when I meet with faculty and they ask about our community, I think that's the key word. We really are a community. Um, A lot of our students have known each other for their entire lives from summer camp and from local sports leagues and things like that. So a lot of our kids have grown up together. And I think while our student body is pluralistically Jewish, our faculty and staff are widespread and diverse in their religions and their backgrounds, but everybody at Milken really comes together to form a really special community that we have. And I have colleagues in my own office who are not Jewish and have really come to embrace the community that we've built. This past weekend, we had an all-school Shabbaton, which is a weekend getaway to a camp in Simi Valley, where every single student was together with all faculty and staff from Friday until Sunday. And it's a slight example of the way that our community has been built and the way we instill community within our different grades. It's just the, the way our students come together is really inspiring. I love that. And I think that um, community is so important these days when so many of us are um, disconnected because we're connected to our phones, if that makes any sense, right? So I think that families and, uh, come together and, and schools are a great way to create community. So I love that theme of community. So thank you for sharing a bit more about Milken. Sure. Um, so, okay. So we have listeners across the country and a little bit across the globe as well. And I think more than anything, they like to hear from our guests, you know, your own journey to college. What was your pathway? So I know that you're, you know, originally from New York and um, we should share with our listeners, you know, we, we met a few years ago, got connected through mutual friends and um, we, we hit it off. Maybe it's the Trojan connection, you know, it's always something to do with USC. Um, And then also we're both sports fans as well. Um, So I remember a lot about what you shared with me um, and our travels, but share with our listeners your own journey to college and who believed in you when you were um, in high school. Sure. So Oftentimes I tell my high school kids that I can't relate to their up and down journey because I had a pretty simple journey when you think about the big picture. But I'll start with your second question, the supporters. I come from a very tight-knit family. Um, I only have two aunts, two uncles, three cousins, and one older brother. Uh, And my family is very tight-knit. Great support from my parents. Having an older brother, as I'm sure a lot of people can relate out there listening with older siblings, it's always a little bit easier being the younger child, uh, your parents have been able to go through that college journey once before. Mm -hmm. So my brother uh, is three years older and had a pretty healthy journey himself, probably applied if I'm remembering to maybe 
eight to 10 schools and wound up at his dream school with mm-hmm. his girlfriend. Um, and now they're married well over 10 years and have two beautiful kids. So my process was a little bit informed from that. I did a couple college tours with my brother when he was looking. And I also had the great luxury as a high school student, knowing exactly what I wanted to do for college and what I thought I wanted to do for my career. Um, as a high school kid who was really involved in politics and knew that's where I wanted my future to go, it made my college application journey pretty simple. I'll never forget sitting down with my guidance counselor when I was in high school and he asked me to go over my list, which may have had two or three schools on it. He asked me about expanding it to places like McGill in Canada and a couple other schools in the States. And I looked at him and I said, the whole goal for me was to be in DC. Um, Mm -hmm. So I only applied to two institutions, one early decision and one early action. And when I got into the early decision institution, I withdrew my other application. I had already been admitted to the early action school. So I let them know I wasn't coming. And I, I was, it's December when we're recording this by this time, when I was a high school senior, I was signed, sealed and delivered. Um, I also, again, with the help of my parents and, and visiting school, I had a good sense going into the application process that I would be successful. My grades and my test scores aligned with what the school needed. So it wasn't that big a stress and anxiety riddled experience for me. And I was really had the great luxury of by December of my senior year, knowing where I was headed the next fall. Okay, I want to pick up a couple that you said. So um, you said, you know, you had an older brother. And so you were taking these tours earlier as a a youngster. um, And you knew clearly what you wanted to do. You had a clear vision of what you wanted to do. And then you said your grades aligned with what they needed. So was it chicken or the egg? Like, did you know, like, once you said, okay, I, I want to be in DC, and these are the schools I'm going to apply to. So your you were your goal, you were goal um, focused on getting those grades or, you know, when did that alignment happen for you personally in your mindset? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, part of me thinks that it happened naturally. Um, when I was growing up in New York and you visited DC and you looked at the colleges there, there were really three colleges right in the heart of the city that were serious contenders for students who wanted to travel down there. One I had visited and knew was not for me. The vibe and the, that I was getting from the student body wasn't as strong a connection. And then mm-hmm. there were two left. And one of them, ironically enough, is very elite, a very difficult school to get into. Um, and I remember very late in my application process talking to my mom about, you know, maybe I'll throw in an application to that institution. And her response was, I knew I had a good thing in the school I had applied to early decision. I knew I would be competitive and I knew I would be a really strong academic student once I matriculated there. And my mom's comment about the more um, rigorous and elite institution with a lower admit rate and more selectivity was if you were lucky enough to get in there, you'd first be playing catch up. My grades and my testing wouldn't have aligned to most of the kids who were getting in. So And, you know, Gladwell's written about this in some of his books. Do you want to play catch up with your peers the entire time you're in college? 
or do you want to potentially go somewhere where you set the curve um, or you're really strong? So I, I kind of think it just worked out that when I evaluated my options in DC, the school that was most attractive to me for myriad reasons was also the school that I was, I happened to be a strong academic applicant for. And then again, oh. and applying early decision, which, you know, I talk to my kids about all the time, completely doesn't completely tip the scale, but certainly enhance my application standing as well. Excellent. Now, listeners, if that's not a golden nugget, if you didn't catch that, what Ross just said was that his mom, moms are so genius. <laughs> my mom, mom will be thrilled to get credit for this. <laughs> yes. Like, um, the, his, Ross's mom gave him the advice of like, do you want to be playing catch up basically? Like, do you want to go somewhere and, um, uh, or set the curve? Uh, so that is a really golden nugget because so many uh, families say we'd have done what you said. Should I throw my hat in the ring uh, just because? And your mom said, well, if you were lucky enough to get that spot, right? And if you were, you would have been maybe uh, seduced by that and maybe gone, right? And, and she was sort of saying to you in, in mom language that maybe yeah, that wasn't the best. I think being realistic is really important. I know we'll probably get to more of that topic. And then I also think being true to yourself and knowing what it is you're looking for. When I really thought about the schools in D.C., Thank God I wound up where I did. I had an incredible experience. But in the grand scheme of things, that was really the one place that meant the most to me and, and I had the strongest connection with. So just to go to the better school, in, in air quotes, would have meant giving up a lot of what I knew I wanted in my undergraduate experience. So, so good. Um, the other thing I wanted to just to pick up on, and I don't know, always do this, and I think I should more often. You said early action and early decision. Can you briefly explain for our listeners who don't know what difference is? Sure. Okay. So early action and early decision are two application options that seniors in high school have. Both generally have November deadlines. And when students apply to schools, early action and early decision, they are committing to a couple things. They have to have their applications prepared. They have to be ready to go with whatever essays are required of the institutions. And they also have to have their testing completed by the time of their application. So many students listening who might be testing deeper into senior year would not be appropriate early action or early decision applicants because they don't have their SATs or ACTs finished. Um, the other thing I'll mention at where I work, most of my students apply early action or early decision. So all of their writing, and sometimes that could mean not only their main personal statement, but 10 to 15 additional supplemental essays all also have to be done by early November. Um, then the, the main difference is all schools do not offer early decision. Early decision is generally offered at private institutions. So here in California, the UCs and the Cal States do not have early decision, as an example. Many Ivies do not have early decision, Harvard, Princeton, and Yale being three that don't. Stanford does not. USC, a private school here in L.A., does not. If a student chooses to apply somewhere early decision and they get admitted and they generally find out about their admission in December, they immediately enroll in that institution and withdraw their applications to the institutions they've also applied to. So early decision is a binding commitment between the student, the applicant, and the school 
that they're applying to. So because of that, a student can only apply to one school early decision because if they get admitted, they must attend. The rules that my office has about early decision, the student and usually the family must visit before they apply. How can you possibly know you want to go somewhere more than any other school in the world without being on campus? And there's also a major, major financial piece to an early decision commitment. When you get admitted somewhere early decision, you are bound to go regardless of the financial aid that you get back from that institution. And that is a major financial commitment that most families in America cannot make. Um, You could still receive merit and need-based aid as an early decision admit, but it's not guaranteed. And your admission is um, set in stone. So Mm -hmm. if, if you need to... Um, consider different financial aid packages and final price tags. Early decision is is not for you. Early action, same application deadlines, but you could apply to as many early action schools as you'd like because you are not bound to go to any of them. So you could apply to five early action schools, get admitted to three or four of them, and go to a school you find out your decision from months later. Um, But if you're a student who wants to have those decisions in hand by New Year's, if you're able to get the writing done, if you're able to get your testing in order and get everything submitted, applying in either of those fashions does enhance your application, certainly early decision, because you are telling the college, I'm yours if you admit me. They have no competition if you apply early decision. Great. Thank you so much for for sharing. I mean, I I do it, I think, in bits and pieces, but that was really great for you to, to share the way that you share with your families at Milken. Sure. So, sure. by the way, I love that you say my kids because I say the same thing, my kids. <laughs> yeah, I have 30 <laughs> a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a father of kids. many. <laughs> um, okay, so I think it's important for us to close the loop for our listeners um, in terms of revealing where you went to school um, in just a second. But can you, once you knew you wanted to go to DC, DC and what schools you would be applying to, how did you round out your resume? What are your PQs? Share with listeners what, you know, what you were involved in in high school and getting prepared for sure. uh, to apply sure. to college. Sure. So I'll start with, I was an athlete. I played uh, volleyball and baseball during high school. And that was something I loved. I was never excellent at either. I was a good player on the team and was a good contributor, but I was never going to go to college to play either. And I got really involved in politics at a pretty early age. Um, I worked on a Senate campaign first um, in New York. And then when that candidate lost their Senate election, I had a connection to the House of Representatives member in my district. So I worked in the district office for the congressman who represented my hometown. And then the other things I was involved in during high school, I was really involved in student government to elected positions pretty much every year during high school. I was on a superintendent's committee. Um, I did mock trial, which I loved. I loved getting that trial every year and working with my classmates on dissecting it and figuring out who was going to be witnesses and attorneys and things like that. Um, Undoubtedly, I'm leaving out a couple things that I did. Oh, I had a a law school inter... uh, a law office internship at one point. I spent my summers doing political stuff. I did presidential classroom one summer, Mm -hmm. which I do not think is around anymore. Mm -hmm. And the coolest thing I did in high school was during senior year, I was part of the U.S. Senate Youth Program. Uh, It's a one-week program for seniors 
two kids from every state in the country are selected to participate in their senior year. So I was nominated by my school. I had to go to the state capitol to interview. Um, and I did that program my senior year. So I, again, I knew yeah. early on, middle school, early on in high school, that I wanted to pursue the political arena. And I just did things during high school to and again, I wouldn't necessarily say I did them intentionally because I, I, I think about the work I'm doing with my kids now, and, and we'll get to this, but oftentimes the question is, what should I do this summer? Mm-hmm. Nothing that I did was something that my parents or I or my counselor at, at my public school on Long Island told me I needed or I should be doing to gain admission to a college down the road. They were the things I just really, really enjoyed doing, and I wouldn't have wanted to be spending my time doing anything else. I also had part-time jobs in retail throughout high school just to make spending money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I just feel like what you said, you said a lot of great uh, stuff to share uh, with um, parents who are guiding their teams, but, you know, this theme of being present, present, being open, being uncomfortable, and you said this uh, political campaign that you worked on, that they didn't win the campaign, but, you know, it, op- it still was a learning experience. It opened another door. And then you were courageous enough to be uncomfortable and say, hey, can I do this for you, you know, through a contest. And, I th- and to being present, I mean, kids should be finding those things that they really enjoy. I work with boys and, and my boys oftentimes, what's the thing you like doing the most? And the answer might be fantasy sports. Great. That, that counts. Just because it's not robotics or it's not, you know, the JSA doesn't mean fantasy sports isn't something real. And maybe finding an outlet and doing something deeper in analytics might be something a student might really like. Um, So I think it's knowing yourself and not taking for granted the things you know you enjoy and you know you're good at. The quick point I'll make about the politics, I worked on on the political campaign for a member of one party, actually, and when he lost... He was replaced in the House by a member of the other party, and that's the person I went and worked for. So I was also willing to be uncomfortable working for both parties, Um, wanting to learn as much as I could about both sides of government and the different points of view and perspectives was something that I thought could only benefit me down the road. Okay, so this really leads us to the the next question, which is the show is called Destination U University, because I believe that's the destination. You're trying to find you, your passion, your love, and the rest of it should just fall into place if you can do that. So um, you've kind of answered this, but, you know, what what advice would you give your younger self or maybe speak a little bit more to the to your point about being comfortable with being uncomfortable? Yeah, I think people hopefully students, wherever they are, have the resources either in their schools or in their personal life to pursue things that appeal to them, whether that's drawing and painting or musical theater or sports or something in medicine or what have you. But I think it's really important for students to explore. At Milken, we work with our ninth and 10th graders and we make sure they're aware of all the different opportunities at Milken and in the greater LA community that they can go take part in, whether it's the Milken Investment Club or a political organization on campus or art classes in our community or service opportunities. Milken has a service requirement. So our students are very, very deeply involved in service, but there's so many ways to do that, whether it's with veterans or with the homeless or elderly, any number of different avenues you could take. So I would say to high school students who don't yet know what they like, go out and explore and try to do a bunch of different things. 
ninth and 10th grade is when we tell our students to do that. Go out and explore and really figure out what you like. And then when 11th and 12th grade roll around, when things get a lot more busy and more difficult, it'd be great if they could hone in on two or three things, whether it might be one sport or the mock trial team or an internship they have at a, you know, investment company, um, honing in on the couple things that they really like. I also think youth, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds have to be okay with the idea that they don't know what they like Mm -hmm. um, and they don't know what they want to study. I'm always shocked when a student will ask me the question when we're going over an application, can I apply undecided? Is that allowed or is that okay? Is the school going to look at me in a bad way? Uh, Students are going to hear on the college tours they go on that students switch their majors upwards of three or four times when they're in college. Most colleges are wildly okay with students being undecided. There's a couple schools I know that require students to apply to a specific major because they want kids on a specific trajectory when they get there. But being clueless and being into three or four or five different things and not knowing what you want to pinpoint is also totally acceptable. I love this. I love this. Listeners, write this down. That's the golden nugget. Uh, There are actually, you, you gave three. First one was ninth and tenth Only grade. Three. <laughs> yeah, you, and, well, three <laughs> that I wrote down. Anyway, uh, ninth and tenth grade, explore as much as possible. Uh, we we say that that theme comes up a, a many many times with many many guests. Explore, explore as much as possible. Take risks. And then eleventh, twelfth grade, you're honing in on, on what you like, hopefully. But it's also okay to be uh, to not know what you like, not with, know what you want to do, and and. Uh, declare undeclared. So. Yeah, and, and use, if high school didn't provide you enough opportunities or you had too many opportunities and you couldn't hone in, then utilize college as the time to explore. I mean, most colleges out there have general education requirements. You're going to have to take classes in wildly different things. Go yeah. do it. Yes. Yeah, uh, love that. That's what I would, that's what I did anyway. Oh, love that. Good, good stuff. Now, as we said, you've been on the the shipping and the receiving end um, of this uh, college admission industry. And I'm just curious to know, the book is Tips, Tales, and Truths. Is there a tale of someone that you remember, a student in your career or or at Milken, in in your time at Milken, that has stood out? And can you share with our listeners what makes them stand out? So I've been dwelling on this. You know, this is my 10th year at Milken, and I've had a lot of students. So there are some students I'm absolutely in love with and still are really, really close to this day. One just stood out as I was saying that. And then there's one kid from my college experience that stands out. So from the high school experience in my second graduating class, um, I had a young man who was a CB student um, in regular classes, might have gotten into an honors class in senior year. I don't think they ever touched the AP realm. The student was an athlete. He probably played one sport. Um, But what he was known for in high school was all the work he did in the local community when it came to the fire department. This was a young man who wanted to be a firefighter. That was his goal. And he became a ride-along EMT during high school. he was, had an incredible honor. There's actually a picture of him behind me in my office. He was on the front cover of the Jewish Journal, which is a Southern California magazine in full uh, fire gear. 
and he was on their mensch list. He won mensch of the year. Uh, mensch mm-hmm. in Yiddish is a, a good, upstanding citizen, a uh, young man. This was a great kid, beloved by the community, worked hard in school, wasn't blowing anybody away with grades or with his academics per se, but just was a good kid. And when it came time to apply to college, he was the second oldest in his family, uh, second of four. When it came time to apply to college, he was applying for schools that admitted 40, 50, 60% of their applicants. His SAT scores were low. I'll never forget him getting a letter from one institution saying, thank you for your application. Let us know if you're taking the SAT again, pretty much saying what you have now is not going to be good enough. And he got deferred from another out-of-state public institution. And in the midst of getting deferred, he got named uh, Mensch of the Year and was put on the cover of this magazine. And I was really close with admissions folks at the school that he got deferred at that he was interested in. And I literally took a magazine, put it in an envelope, and I mailed it to the admissions team. And I said, this is who you just deferred. This kid needs to get in. He got in. He went. Um, he spent either a semester or a year during undergrad interning with the FBI in Washington, D.C., actually the Department of Homeland Security, not the FBI. And he since graduated college probably three or four years ago. He is now working in real estate um, here in L.A. and has just matured into a great young man who, you know, 10 years ago when he was in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, Nobody really probably could have said where he might wind up, Uh, but he had a passion. And even though he hasn't seen his passion to fruition, he's not working as a firefighter. He's just blossomed over time and really matured through the experiences he's had. So that's one example I have from my work here. I'm not sure if you want another one from the college side. Yeah, that's a beautiful example. Yes, share share the the next one because, oh, that's Another one that just comes to mind, and I'm not going to remember as many details. I recruited in New York and Connecticut when I worked at USC, and I had a boy who became known in my admissions office as Train Boy. Um, This kid, again, I don't remember public versus private, but he was applying to college in 2009, 2010, and USC had just opened a new school um, called uh, PPD, Policy Planning and Development. And one of the focuses within the school had to do with not just real estate, but city planning and things like that. And this is a kid that I met on my travels in Connecticut. And he, you know, I talked about the firefighter. I talked about my own passion for politics. This kid, don't ask me how, I don't remember, had an incredible passion as a high school student for trains and for mass transit. And when he applied as a freshman to USC and I reviewed his application for uh, PPD for the school at USC, part of his application was an entire mass transit plan for an urban center. And I don't remember if it was his hometown or if it was Los Angeles, but I had grids and maps and designs of what this plan would look like. And I mean, the program was new, so they needed students and he was beyond a perfect fit for what they were looking for. Um, I'm looking at some photos on my wall and I'm 99% sure if I looked at the back of them, he took them. Um, He was just a really interesting kid uh, who 
you know, when you work in the admissions world, you're reading applications with your colleagues for three, four months at a clip. He became known in my, on my team as Train Boy. He was just this kid who had this incredible passion. He was such a fit for the program that he was applying to. I, you notice I didn't say a single thing about his grades. I have no idea if he had B's or A's, what his test scores were. And I tell my students all the time, if they are uniquely, my students at Milken, if they are uniquely qualified and prepared for a program or an institution they're applying to, their grades may not matter as much. Now, don't get me wrong, at some schools, you still have to have certain GPA and certain test scores. But if you're an architect or you're an artist or you're a musician or an actress, those talents at certain institutions may be a far bigger deal than grades on a transcript and two or three times you took the SAT or the ACT. So both excellent examples. And, and it's so clear to me why they would stand out to you and, and still years later um, be really great examples. And somehow it's, it's hard because you mentioned earlier, and I say this all the time, people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you, what is the formula? What is the right thing? What is the checklist? How do I get into, you know, you just said USC, and that's a highly coveted, coveted spot to get, as, as well as many other schools in the country that um, are, are selective like that. So how, how can you answer that question? How can we convince teenagers or parents of teenagers that it's fine to, to just, you said he was known as the train boy, right? The maps boy or, you know, that what you do and what you're good at is enough. Is enough. Yeah. I, I, I think, well, uh, part of it is just that. Um, the other thing we have to always constantly remind our parents and our families and our students is the plethora of options they have. Our community is so caught up on the most selective, you know, we always start, um, our work with families and remind them how many institutions are out there in the country. And that's not even including Canada and Europe and so on. Not only that there's three or 4,000 options for them out there in America, uh, a colleague of mine, a former colleague of mine who we have do presentations on campus sometimes is also fond of asking the trivia question, what do families think the average admit rate is at all the colleges and universities in the country? And generally the answer, the guesses are 25 or eight or 50 or 40. (laughs) And my colleague who works at USC reminds them it's 75%. The vast majority of colleges out there take the vast majority of their applicants. Um, So for so many of our students, they are looking at schools that don't require the 1550 and the 34 and the 4.3. They'll take a normal kid who gives back to their community shows a couple things that they're interested in and takes classes appropriate to their level of ability. Don't get me wrong. There are a group of 50 to 100 colleges and universities that expect far more from their students. And if and when I come into contact with those students, uh, you know, there's so many ways to talk through those relationships and those dynamics. I had a meeting at lunch today with one of my students who will have a list comprising these schools And I have no doubt him and his family think he is doing all the things he needs to do right now to get there. But when I really start sitting down with them, the conversation will have to take place. He's not done anything wrong. And when the, if, if he eventually gets 
a no at one of these institutions. A lot of these students are hearing no for the first time in their lives when they get their admissions decisions. And those results and those decisions are not a commentary on what they've been doing. There are only so many spots for so many really, really qualified kids. We share the anecdote, another kind of quiz we give our families is we ask them if they have any idea how many high schools exist in the country. And again, most have no idea, but the number is somewhere around 30,000 private and public high schools. And I remind families all the time, that means that there are 30,000 valedictorians in this country. And if you want to think about the top 10%, that means there's 300,000 students in the country that are in the top 10% of their high school senior class. And the other thing I keep saying in the country, we're only talking about applicants from the United States. We're ignoring the world of college applicants. So I think when families start appreciating the volume, not just of applicants maybe in my school or in the greater LA community or in California, forget about that when it comes to the UCs, but when you're thinking about the much, much broader world out there, some appreciation of reality must seep in and we have to uh, let, our, let our students be students. Um, the last thing I want is a student looking back and book smart is a great movie. If people want to watch a movie to kind of reflect on how students utilize their high school experience. Um, I don't want students looking back when they graduate, regretting giving up weekends with their friends, uh, giving up, enjoying a family vacation because they're too busy reading an extra book over the summer to get ahead in their AP literature class, you know, Students are allowed to be kids. We talk about summer plans with our kids all the time and what they're going to do over the summer. I met with a boy today and talked about that. And I made sure during the conversation, like at what point, where's fun? Like, yes, you might love that internship and, you know, you're going to prep for the ACT, but where do you take a couple days or a week or a month and just go to the beach or hang out with friends or catch up on reading that you've been meaning to do? You know, re-engaging with your family after a long school year. These kids have to remember that there's a lot more to life than just getting ready for the college application process. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. It is is a a bit daunting, but that is a dose of reality. Thank you for sharing that truth about just how many high schools there are and what that that means. They're just not enough. I feel like, I don't know if I heard this or read this, that, you know, Harvard and and many of the like, HYP, PNS and and the like, you know, could trash all every application that they've just admitted and start again and admit another class and probably several times over. Yeah, yeah, and that's the reality. That's the truth. So, uh, golden nugget there uh, that I still sticks with me. What you said is that um, you've done nothing wrong, and this is not uh, a measure of you know this is not a reflection of who you are, you know who who you've become, but. It just, there's just not the space. It's just not. Right. Ah. And a, a lot of colleges will come out and say, you know, their admit rate was 12% or 20%. They could have easily admitted 60 or 70% of their applicants who could have absolutely got to campus, done the work, done it well, and succeeded on their, on their campus and within their community. And to that point, too, let's also 
I also say, you know, I know this is hard to hear. I'm going to give you some reality, but I also want to praise you for being courageous because you're putting these on your list. You're going to go through with applying to them. And it takes courage to do so because, as you said, many times this is going to be the first time they receive a no. And that is a lot for a teenager. And it's, you know, yeah. And it's not only a lot for the teenagers, a lot for the parents who see too often their success as parents wrapped up in where their children get admitted. And these are parents and many of the students from where I work have, have the means and the resources. These are parents who've given their students everything they could possibly have given them in their entire upbringing, all the tutors, all the lessons, all the coaching. And it doesn't result in their ideal um, culmination. And Mm -hmm. they often see that as a reflection on their own parenting. And oftentimes it's that understanding for them also that it's not, it's it's not a reflection on their parenting just as, as it's not a reflection on their students' abilities to succeed and thrive in college. Right. So this idea of being present, being open and being uncomfortable is not only a theme for our, our teens that we work with, our kids that we work with, but also a, a note to the families. Their families, yes. Families, yeah. I always remember the chart, you know, in, in like fourth grade or third grade, I can't remember, you get stars every time you learn your multiplications, you know, ones, twos, threes. Mm-hmm. And to, in parenting, there is no star chart. And I think that the bumper sticker, that sweatshirt, <laughs> for them feels like this is my reward for, for having raised uh, my child for right. 18 years. Right. It's hard. It's hard. Absolutely. Um, So we've been talking about this theme, being uh, present, being open and being uncomfortable. And I think that's your, your tip um, for being all the years in the business. But uh, do you have, you know, in in, in just our, we had to feel like we've had a really good conversation to now. And um, in just your thoughts right now, is there another tip, anything else that you would say you would want to share um, with those that are listening that might have, students that are in elementary or middle school, what's the best tip that you can offer? I think for students that young, uh, and this is a tip for parents, it sounds like, um, I think you have to let your kids be kids and let them come into their own, let them dictate what they like. Um, So much implicit bias about, you know, what we think kids should be doing, whether they're boys, girls, left-brained, right-brained, athletes, artists, let your kids show you what they enjoy and what they're good at and what they want to pursue. Um, signing your kid up for seven sports teams because you think they're an athlete and you think that's what they enjoy doing. Let them dictate that. Um, I would also encourage parents not to over schedule your children. Let them have time to grow up, to get dirty in the you know, park, to hang out with their friends to fail. I think that's a huge part. We talked about being uncomfortable. I think failing is critically important. You know, we talked about college acceptances and denials being the first time kids are told no. Well, it's often because we don't allow our students to not succeed as they're growing up. A student not making a sports team is acceptable. Everybody need not make the team. Uh, a mm-hmm. student not getting a ribbon for an art project um, or not being accepted into a choir because they might not just be good enough to make that choir. I think allowing life to happen to your kid will only make them stronger. Case in point, the admission scandal. 
um, parents taking away the opportunity for the process to play itself out and for the students to earn what they will or will not earn on their own. So I think that's probably the biggest tip I would have for younger parents. And then a tip for older parents and the tip we probably give our parents more than any other is having an open mind. There is not one solution and one institution that is the right place for their son or daughter to matriculate to. And so many parents come at the process with such a limited scope of the true realities of what options are out there. And if they just have an open mind and are willing to accept a recommendation about a school that they've not heard of, you talked about Mm -hmm. the sweatshirt already. Don't buy the sweatshirt when you go on the college campus. It's not about the bumper sticker you get to put on your car. It's about finding the venue and the place that your kid is going to be the most successful and will thrive at the most. And that many times can and will come from a place you don't know much about. Um, that hopefully you can embrace wherever that destination becomes. Ah, love it. Ooh, and you even use the word destination. I right did. There. I made sure I got that in just now. <laughs> got it. Destination. All right. So you're, this conversation has reminded me why I think we, we just fell in love, like sort of, you know, uh, <laughs> we, in common. Like, we had, just like I could talk to you forever on, on all kinds of topics for sure. So I think it's only fair that we um, answer this fun question um, that you, thank you for agreeing to answer this. You know, we, we do talk as, as counselors, as guidance, as coaches to, we say fail and take risk and be uncomfortable. So let's both answer the question. When was the last time you did something that was, you know, made you really uncomfortable? You gave me this ahead of time and I should have done more prep thinking. Um, (laughs) you want me to start? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, um, I thought about this as I was just prepping for our talk here. And I thought, you know what? I'm terrified of the ocean. I love the ocean and it brings me peace and I like to be in it. But um, I remember when I was young, sort of the wave taking me, whisking me away. And I was so far, I felt like I was never going to make it back to land. And I was, you know, I got help eventually. So I love to be in the ocean and, um, I tried surfing and it terrified me to death. And my cousin took me, he gave me this, you know, wetsuit and got all the gear and gave me a board. And I just like, I thought I can't do this, but I tried and I got beat up (laughs) really badly, but I was completely out of my element and completely uncomfortable, but I had to trust that he was there to, you know, to help me and guide me and um, would make sure, would make sure that I was, (laughs) that I would, I survived. So that's probably the biggest thing. And then just little things of being somewhere, a holiday party where I'm like, one, you know, I only know one person there. Right. That's, of course, right. uncomfortable. You know, I think in hearing you talk and thinking about the relationship I have with my kids and talking about uncomfortability, I think all of us are pretty risk averse. Um, and I'm not different. The two things that immediately come to mind, I've been at Milken 10 years. And this year I've taken on considerably more responsibility and I'm doing things on campus that are putting me in different meetings and interacting with different colleagues and different um, players in the secondary education world. And there's elements of my new role that I'm definitely uncomfortable in. Um, But as I look to grow more in my career and learn more about myself and learn more about Milken and the educational landscape, I have to suck it up and 
become more comfortable in these uncomfortable potential surroundings. I'm going to a conference in Philadelphia in February. You know, you've kind of alluded to this, a conference I've never been to before. I won't really probably know anybody there. Mm -hmm. Learning a lot of new information I've never considered that will really stretch me um, and my comfortability in learning something new. And then I think to the second point you made, very similar. I mean, I have a really fantastic group of friends who I spend most of my time with here in LA. I'm blessed that most of my friends here in LA are actually friends from undergraduate college in DC. So my best friends in LA are friends I've known in many cases for 15 years plus. But when there's new people thrown in, I just went to a holiday party this past weekend. When there's new people thrown in, that's always different. You know, you're reintroducing yourself, you're building new relationships. So I think all of us have a little bit of apprehension around that also. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You're, you're, you've such a, I think you just speak so eloquently to this process and I think it will resonate with a lot of our listeners. Um, And so, and I know that you're, you're well connected in the, in the field. And so I just, you know, as you, as you heard, and as maybe you've listened to other episodes, are there colleagues that you admire in this business, mentors that you have, that you think that our listeners should also hear from as well? Yeah. um, hmm. So I think I've always said my mentor in the field is uh, one was my boss at USC. Uh, His name's Mark Rasek. He now does what I do for a living. Uh, He's a college counselor at Poly um, over in Pasadena. Yeah. He was, every time he's reminded that I think he's a mentor, he's always shocked and usually sends me a text and say, I can't believe I'm a mentor of yours. But he is. I mean, I, when I moved out to LA, I knew nobody. Um, it was my second admissions job working at USC, and he just allowed me to do my job. He knew he, he was in charge of all assistant directors of admission. But I was one of the only ones with previous admissions experience. Mm -hmm. And he allowed me to do my job. And I really always valued that. And he also was just great with people. So I uh, always have looked up to him. The other name that comes to mind as kind of a mentor is uh, Jane Cohen Alexander. She was my mentor at GW. Yeah. And again, I see her as a mentor because she was one of my first ever bosses. And again, really taught me the ropes and let me grow and let me fail and make mistakes and pick myself up. Um, Other people who I think would be really great for your listeners, Rasan Burroughs. He's a GW admissions guy, and now he works for CollegeWise as a counselor back east. He's based in D.C. He just got back to the States. He lived abroad for a number of years. Just a great personality, really connects well with students. Uh, Another, uh, the last one I'll give you is the director of admission at Brandeis. Um, Mm -hmm. Her name is Sarah Brookshire. She's been at Brandeis hmm, five to eight years. Um, Their director for a number of years. She's on the NACAC executive board, and she is just a star in our industry. Um, has risen to a pretty high level at a pretty young age. She's a member of the Young Directors Group that presents at NACAC every year. She is just a special personality, a great presenter. I'm going to throw in one more. Her and Jeff Schiffman, he's the director of admission at Tulane. Mm -hmm. They both kind of co-chair that Young Director Group. 
uh, until I left the industry, well, since I left the industry, Jeff has become the greatest recruiter in the country. Um, yeah. I, I used to joke with him that him and I were tied for the role when I was still <laughs> doing it. But now with my presence gone, Jeff has assumed the mantle of the greatest recruiter for any college admissions office yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and you could see what Tulane has done when it comes to their numbers. Absolutely. But him and Sarah are just great young minds, great with people and connect to parents and students and they'd be great assets for your listeners. Ah, oh, this is so great. This is great because your episode um, uh, is going to be the last of 2019. And then we go on break for those two weeks, a holiday break. And then I've got um, Bowdoin College and UNLV and Princeton. It's going to be a great 2020 season. But what a way, listeners, what a treat you had to end 2019 um, with Ross. And uh, you can see why I reached out to him. He is... Um, to me, he's a rock star and just so great to listen to because he's so thoughtful um, and mindful of, and just to circle back at the end of the day, this is what I, what I'll take away with me is it is, this process is a community. It takes a village to get through this journey and um, you need a support system. You need to stay, uh, be present. You need to be open. You need to be uncomfortable. And the only way to do that is with your community of supporters. So you got it. And I wish everybody really good luck on their process. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint and let the process play out. I, th- I really think that people wind up where they, where they should be. Um, and that could be after transferring. There's many different ways to get where you need to be, but I think it all works out in the end. Well, that is all I have for you today, my friends. Thank you for joining me. If this episode has in any way fueled your confidence or helped build your dreams, please share this episode with three people in the next 30 minutes. You can join the conversation on our Facebook group, Destination University. It's open to all parents, no matter the grade level. And if you've found me, you are a parent, a mentor, or an advocate for college-bound teens. Come on over and join the conversation. Get the insider scoop. And if you haven't noticed, we have officially kicked off our season for hosting guests on our show. Coming in the new year, as I mentioned, admission guests from Bowdoin College, UNLV, Princeton University, and founders of the Scholarship System and Project Giving Kids, and so many more are lined up. If you would like to be a guest on the show, nominate someone as a guest on the show, or would you like to be a sponsor of the show, please visit my website, www.drcynthiacolon.com forward slash podcast, and get in touch with me today. And as we mentioned, this is the end of 2019. Thank you so much for allowing me into your your home, on your walk, in your exercise, or wherever you listen to this Destination University podcast. It is my honor to be with you and be your number one fan as you journey through the college admission process. From my family to yours, happiest of holidays, and, and here is to a joyful new year. I can't wait to see you, same time, same place, and until then, have a happy and sunny day. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening this week to Destination University. Be sure to join Dr. Cynthia Colon again on the Voice America Variety Channel and get one step closer to your success. 